mortality that they had was significantly higher than they expected. It pertains to oxygenation targets for our critically ill patients. Hypoxemic respiratory failure is probably one of the most common admitting diagnoses. What was the primary outcome here? The all-cause mortality was really almost identical. Welcome back to Critical Care Perspectives in Emergency Medicine. This is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm so happy that you are joining us for this podcast. Looking forward to having this discussion. Hope you are all doing well amidst our continued battles against COVID-19 and the pandemic. Let me bring in, as you know, my amazing co-hosts here on CCPEM, Dr. Peter W., Dr. Rob Rodriguez, and Dr. John Greenwood. Peter, I'm going to ask, how are you doing during this recording? I'm doing well, doing well. Just looking forward to next year when we actually have a real Mardi Gras being canceled this year. So lamenting that, but looking forward to next year and recovery. Continued tough times, but hopefully a little bit better. Yes, there's lots to look forward to on the horizon. And I'm certainly looking forward to a trip back to New Orleans when that can safely occur. Rob, how about you? How are things going on the West Coast? Going great. It's wonderful to have our population start to get more and more vaccines. We are trying to deal with a bit of vaccine hesitancy in our at-risk groups, but overall we're very, very optimistic. Sounds good. Definitely something we're also encountering in the Baltimore area and just Maryland region in general. There's a lot of community discussions, meetings, advocacy also regarding the hesitation around vaccination. So similar circumstance here, but probably dissimilar to the West Coast. John, we've got some snow and cold temperatures here in the Northeast. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, definitely colder. We're getting this Arctic plunge coming across the country. And although we are not that bad. I think the Midwest is really getting struck right now with their negative, I think like negative 15 degrees in some areas of the country. So, you know, circling back on my accidental hypothermia care, but looking forward to this podcast. Agreed. And if everyone will just kind of pardon, I guess the pun, we're going to try and warm things up here on this podcast amidst these cold temperatures and talk about a study that is hot off the press and aptly named the hot ICU study. So warming the temperature up in here. And this is a topic that we've talked a little bit about over some podcasts over the last one to two years. And it pertains to oxygenation targets for our critically ill patients that have hypoxemic respiratory failure. And this particular study, the hot ICU study, was just published online at the end of January here in 2021. And it's titled the Lower or Higher Oxygenation Targets for Acute Hypoxemic Respiratory Failure, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So John, provide us with the background leading into the hot ICU study. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I think, as you said, this is a more common topic that we talk about, but that's with good reason. So I think all of us can agree that hypoxemic respiratory failure is probably one of the most common admitting diagnoses for patients who are received in the ICU, and they often receive supplemental oxygen with a high FiO2 concentration to try and normalize their PaO2. Now, we can all agree, I think, that for the most part, high levels of FiO2 have been associated with increased mortality. And we've seen that in a number of different trials and studies over the past five to 10 years in particular. 
Now, despite this, there currently is not any clinical practice guideline on oxygenation targets for adult patients who are critically ill with hypoxemic respiratory failure. Now, just to kind of review, a number of the most significant studies and trials on this, I think, include the study by Panwar and American Journal of Respiratory Critical Care. That was in 2016, where they reported a small multi-center trial of mechanically ventilated ICU patients that really didn't find any evidence of harm for patients where their pulse ox was targeted to 88 to 92 percent compared with those who had a much higher target of over 96%. Now, follow-up to that was Giardis that was published in JAMA that was a single-center RCT that demonstrated lower mortality in patients with a PaO2 target of 70 to 100 milligrams of mercury compared with a higher PaO target, so greater than 150 milligrams of mercury. So off the bat, we're seeing a group where using both pulse ox saturation and PiO2, where a lower target seemed to be showing signs of benefit. Now, Barrett in 2020, this was in New England Journal, the LOCO2 trial, kind of threw a wrench in the mix in that their trial was stopped prematurely due to a higher frequency of what they reported mesenteric ischemia and 90-day mortality in the lower oxygenation group. So the dovetail to that in 2020 in New England Journal was a trial by Mackle. That was the famous ICU ROCKS trial that found no between-group differences in the number of ventilator-free days or 28-day mortality in patients treated with a lower oxygenation strategy. So a little bit of a mix in terms of the evidence, but I think a general trend towards using lower oxygenation targets, which kind of leads us into this trial, the HOT ICU trial that was just published. Thanks, John. That sets the stage very nicely. And these investigators, their objective with the HOT ICU study was to test their hypothesis that targeting a lower PaO2, so that is 60 millimeters of mercury, would reduce 90-day all-cause mortality compared to targeting a higher PaO2 of 90 millimeters of mercury in adult ICU patients who are admitted with hypoxic or hypoxemic respiratory failure. Now, as this is hot off the press, Peter, this is getting a lot of attention. Help all of us understand what was the study itself. Let me tell you a little bit about the study. So, investigator initiated, it's a multi-center study that stratified has parallel group. It involved 35 ICUs. And where were the ICUs? They were in Denmark, Switzerland, Finland, Netherlands, Norway, Iceland, and the UK. So pretty great places when we start talking about healthcare delivery. The inclusion here, adults greater than or equal to 18 years of age. They were admitted to the ICU with hypoxemic respiratory failure. They were receiving at least 10 liters of oxygen via an open mask system, or they had an FiO2 of at least 50% in a closed system. They were expected to receive supplemental oxygen for at least 24 hours within the ICU. It's assumed that the PaO2 to FiO2 ratio would be below 300 for all the patients enrolled. So that's the inclusion criteria. So exclusion criteria. So who wasn't coming into the study? So patients who could not be randomized within 12 hours of ICU admission were booted out. Those receiving home oxygen were excluded. 
patients who were poisoned with either carbon monoxide, cyanide, or paraquat, who would require higher dosages of oxygen. Also excluded were sickle cell disease patients. Any pregnant patients were excluded. Any patients who underwent solid organ transplant. Any patients who were long-term mechanical ventilatory patients and any patients that were suspected or enrolled in a brain death protocol or withdrawal of active therapy. So those were exclusions. So what was the intervention? The intervention here were patients were randomly assigned in a one-to-one fashion. The lower oxygenation group received oxygen to target a PaO2 of 60 millimeters of mercury. Compare that with a higher oxygenation group who received oxygen to target a PaO2 of 90 millimeters of mercury. They were followed up to 90 days after this randomization. Investigators recorded the lowest and highest PaO2 in predefined 12-hour intervals, along with the saturations and FiO2. Supplemental oxygen devices were chosen by the clinicians. So what was the primary outcome here? Primary outcome was a 90-day all-cause mortality. They had a few secondary outcomes, and those included serious adverse events, considered new episodes of shock, MI, myocardial infarction, cerebral ischemia, mesenteric ischemia, and the percent of days free from mechanical ventilation, renal replacement therapy, or vasopressors. Outstanding, Peter. That really sets the tone that gives us great information on who was included in this study, where it occurred, and then their intervention group. So, Rob, I'm going to ask you to take us through the results. What did it show for the lower oxygenation group and the higher oxygenation group? Yeah, Mike. So they enrolled 2,928 patients, and they were evenly split and matched between the lower oxygenation group and the higher oxygenation group, each about 1,464 more or less patients. They had similar baseline characteristics, so their randomization procedure did its job. In terms of the oxygenation and ICU interventions, the use of mechanical ventilation, prone positioning, inhaled vasodilators, ECMO, transfusions, and circulatory support were similar between the two groups. As expected, the PaO2 values were lower in the lower oxygenation group target, the group that had a lower oxygenation target as compared to the higher oxygenation target. So in terms of their primary outcome, 90-day all-cause mortality, they were almost exactly the same percentages. The lower oxygenation group had 42.9%. The higher oxygenation group had 42.4% mortality. And the relative risk with that was 1.02 with a confidence interval that was 0.94 to 1.11. So the all-cause mortality was really almost identical. With regard to secondary outcomes, There were no differences in patients alive without life support, alive after hospital discharge, and there were no differences in serious adverse events between the groups. With regard to limitations, there are a couple of limitations in this study. The oxygenation standard targets selected in this study, they may be a little bit different from standard care in other countries, those targets of 60 PO2 and 90 PO2. 
They may be different. They may vary from country to country. Arterial sampling for determination of the arterial oxygen saturation was intermittent and it was not standardized. They used conversion tables for fractional inspired oxygen in patients receiving supplemental oxygen in open systems. In other words, if you weren't on a vent, let's say you were on high flow oxygen, they used a conversion table and they did not have arterial line sampling. There were some potential treatment differences in the individual ICUs. And probably the biggest limitation is that the mortality that they had in the study was significantly higher than they expected. It was 42%, which is pretty high for this type of study, a bit higher than we would expect. And what could that do? This could lead to changes in the power and sample size that you would need to show differences. That's a great point, Rob, there. Thanks for taking us through the results. So no difference in 90-day all-cause mortality between the lower or higher oxygenation group and some important limitations that you reviewed there in terms of just all of us thinking about generalizability to our various clinical settings and our patient populations. Now to that end, what were the author's take-home points? Well, essentially they're stating that a lower oxygenation target did not reduce 90-day mortality compared to a higher oxygenation target, importantly in adult patients admitted to the ICU with acute hypoxic respiratory failure. And what they do quote in the study is that their findings lend weight to the utility of a conservative oxygen therapy in patients with acute hypoxic respiratory failure. And they contrast that to the study results of what John talked about in the background, that LOCO2 trial, where there was an increased incidence of mesenteric ischemia. The overall incidence of mesenteric ischemia in this particular trial was about 2.4, 2.5% I recall, which was close to what was seen in the LOCO2 trial, but not statistically significant between the lower and higher oxygenation groups. So gentlemen, Rob, let me turn to you first. That's the author's take-home points. What do you take away from this latest hot-off-the-press, hot ICU study? So I think the way that this sort of changes my management is that I'm really not going to worry so much about targeting oxygen levels, oxygen saturations. Notably, the groups were almost identical in terms of their outcomes. So I'm not going to necessarily target a lower saturation, but I'm also not going to target a higher saturation. So I think it lends credence to targeting anywhere between 92 to 96 or so in these patients. The biggest caution that I would say from this study is don't translate the findings that you see in this to our other research that has shown that high FiO2s post-cardiac arrest and high FiO2s post-stroke are associated with poor neurologic outcomes. That's a different population. That's a different population from what they were looking at in this study. So in your post-cardiac arrest patients, you should make sure that you're not giving them too much oxygen. You're not inducing those superoxic levels. And in your stroke patients, you should avoid that as well. And finally, there's a lot of signal now in terms of patients who are having an acute myocardial infarction that you don't want to over-oxygenate them as well. So in those three groups, which are different from this study, you still should be wary about giving them too much oxygen. 
Rob, I think those are incredibly, incredibly important points for our listeners. John, what can you add on to what Rob just said and your take-home points on this study? Yeah, Mike. So I agree, Rob. Those were all really awesome points. I don't have a whole lot to add other than I think that this trial looked at PAO2 targets as opposed to SPO2. And that's an important thing just for our listeners to remember. And we don't routinely send regular ABGs patients in most of our patients in the ICU. I'm still using a SAT as a primary trigger or guide for my FiO2 therapy. So while we may take spot samples of ABGs to make sure we're correlating, still use my pulse ox as a primary guide towards my oxygen titration. Now, one important point, and I think that's a, a recent topic that's come up, is the accuracy of the pulse ox in patients with darker skin, particularly related to our African-American population, and recognizing that once we get to the lower end of our pulse ox, that that correlation between SAT and PAO2 may not be as accurate as what we might think in all patients. So perhaps sending a few more ABGs to make sure I'm in the right range in that patient group to make sure I'm around that target of 60 millimeters of mercury that might increase my frequency in that group there. But other than that, I think it was a really interesting study. And again, for all comers, I think it helps reassure us that lower targets are safe. Outstanding, John. Thanks for those pearls. And Peter, bring us home with your expert analysis and take-home points. Well, thanks. And again, I got to give props to both Rob and John because I agree with what they say. I think this study looks at the difference between low and moderate levels of oxygen. They're not comparing this high level of oxygens or the hyperoxia that Rob referred to. So I'm not expecting to see a large difference between these two groups. Had it been a hyperoxia group, I think you would have seen a decidedly different turn with worse outcomes in the hyperoxia group, particularly in those people with either brain or heart at risk. So, and again, doesn't change my management. Again, I'm not looking for high levels of oxygen in any of my patients who are on mechanical ventilation. And I make those changes beginning in the emergency department. Thanks, Peter. I think all three of you have pointed out really some nice pearls to add on to the results here of this important study early here in 2021 that adds to our knowledge in terms of mechanical ventilation, well, in terms of just supplemental oxygen therapy in patients with hypoxic respiratory failure. So well done. To all the listeners, please let us know if you have any questions regarding the hot ICU trial or any follow-up questions or cases, questions that you have regarding supplemental oxygen in this particular patient population. I think that's going to do it for this podcast. Very short, sweet. Hope that this particular podcast warms you up in terms of those cold temperatures that many in North America are experiencing. Looking forward to talking to all of you on our next podcast. Once again, this is Mike Winters from the University of Maryland School of Medicine for CCPEM. We will talk to you all on our next podcast. Bye for now.